Hello, this is Sandra Hindman, founder and president of Les Enlumineurs. We specialize in manuscripts, miniatures, historic jewelry, and other small-scale works of art from the Middle Ages and the Renaissance. Welcome, and please enjoy today's podcast. Hello, listeners. I'm Kristen Racanello, producer and occasional host of this Les Enlumineurs podcast. Last week, we ended September with a discussion of the difference between the work of an author and a scribe, a subject highly relevant to the 31 new text manuscripts we have just published during our annual text manuscript update. If you haven't yet had a chance to browse through the updated website, just head on over to textmanuscripts.com, where there are many fascinating new listings. In other news, our team is thrilled to be presenting in person at Freeze Masters London this coming Wednesday to Sunday, that is the 13th to the 17th of October. So, if you're in London, we would love to see you there. We'll be presenting three newly discovered miniatures by Simon Benning, one of the greatest Netherlandish illuminators for the very first time in our booth. These dramatic paintings depict vivid scenes from The Passion of Christ and The Last Judgment from the Enriquez de Ribera prayer book. In the meantime, it's been a cloudy, windy start to October here in New York, so I thought it would be fun to start this month off by examining one of our text manuscripts to kick off our series of Halloween-themed podcasts. This manuscript is known as the Del Idea del Futuro, meaning On the Idea of the Future, an unpublished treatise on chiromancy. This manuscript was handwritten in central Italy, probably in Florence, in the 1600s, with clear, easily legible Italian written in a fluid cursive hand with dark brown ink, it's quite easy to read this never-before-published manual on chiromancy. But what is chiromancy? Today, chiromancy is often simply called palmistry. It is the reading of a person's character and future in the lines of their hand, often classified as a type of fortune-telling. The practice is found all over the world with endless cultural variations. Those who practice chiromancy are generally called palmists, hand readers, hand analysts, or chirologists. The origins of palmistry are still quite uncertain. It might have begun in ancient India and spread from there, likely through the Roma, a diaspora that originated in the northern Indian subcontinent. The Roma, who are still often known today pejoratively as gypsies, have long been associated with traditional fortune-telling and chiromancy. The chiromantic art has been known in China, Tibet, Persia, Mesopotamia, and Egypt, and it underwent significant developments in ancient Greece. Medieval writings transitioned to focus on the lines of the palms versus other types of mark-making. Medieval European chiromancy developed from the mid-12th century onward, and it was first influenced by Arabic sources, like the writings of Ibn Rushdi, who's usually known as Averroes, and Ibn Sina, or Avicenna. In its European origins, chiromancy was apparently designed for clergymen, with a series of predictions aimed at an ecclesiastical user, such as the gaining of benefices and episcopal offices. 
The oldest surviving chiromantic text in Western Europe is found in the Edwin Psalter, which is currently at Cambridge Trinity College as Manuscript R171, in which it's transcribed consecutively without marking a page break after some annotations to the Credo and Pater Noster, illustrating the ecclesiastical origins of this practice in Europe. In medieval Italy, Pietro Diabano, professor of medicine in Padua, who lived from about 1250 to 1318, wrote at least one treatise on chiromancy. Chiromancy was sometimes pressed into service by late medieval witch hunters who interpreted pigmentation spots as signs of a pact with the devil. Then, after a period of disrepute, palmistry flourished again in the Renaissance. Early Renaissance scholars were often well-versed in palmistry, and markings for different kinds of patterns were devised. In the 17th century, the period from which our manuscript derives, attempts were made to develop empirical and rational foundations for its basic principles. New chiromantic texts were composed for this aim. In England, for instance, new treatises written by Richard Sauders and George Wharton contributed to the 17th century boom in chiromancy. The popularity of the art of chiromancy in the 17th century is demonstrated by its wide diffusion through printed manuals. Jean-Baptiste Bellot's Les Oeuvres Contenant la Chiromance, with woodcut illustrations, for instance, was printed in several editions in the 17th and 18th centuries. Isaac Newton is also known to have had a copy of Bellot's book in his library, testifying to the high regard of the practice at the time as a rational and philosophical discipline. After a second ebb in popularity during the Enlightenment, chiromancy underwent a popular revival in the 19th century with the work of figures like Lewis Hammond and William Benham. In the 20th century, palmistry received renewed attention and interpretation by, among others, the followers of Carl Jung. Jung had his palms read by the well-known and respected hand reader Julius Speer. Jung even wrote part of the introduction to Speer's palmistry book, quote, the totality conception of modern biology, which is based on the evidence of a host of observations and research, does not exclude the possibility that hands, whose shape and functioning are so intimately connected with the psyche, might provide revealing and, therefore, interpretable expressions of psychical peculiarity, that is, of the human character." End quote. Young was impressed with Spears' reading of hands and spoke highly of his work and Spears' gift. He wrote, quote, I have had several opportunities of observing Mr. Julius Sphere at work, and I must admit that the results he has achieved have made a lasting impression on me. His method, though predominantly intuitive, is based on a vast practical experience. Experiences of this kind can be rationalized to a great extent. That is to say, they admit of reasonable explanation once they are available. The manner, however, in which they are obtained depends, apart from routine, in its most decisive points upon a subtly differentiated creative intuition which in itself implies individual specific talent." End quote. 
Spears' book, The Hands of Children, was published in 1944 with Young's endorsement. Carl Jung actually created a model applying his own model of the psyche to the hand. The outer world in this model is the external world of objects and other people. He associated the radial or thumb site of the hand with the outer self. The outer world includes public life and our relationship to people and situations that lead to personal advancement. In Jung's model, the ego forms the center of consciousness. Some hand analysts have assigned the ego to the thumb itself or others to the index finger. Jung wrote that the ego is the, quote, complex factor to which all conscious contents are related. It forms, as it were, the center of the field of consciousness, and insofar as this comprises the empirical personality, the ego is the subject of all personal acts of consciousness. From there, the fingers become the consciousness, tracing down to the concept of the central self at the center of the palm. Jung wrote that, quote, as an empirical concept, the self designates the whole range of psychic phenomena in humans. It expresses the unity of the personality as a whole. It encompasses both the experienceable and the inexperienceable, end quote. According to Jung, the self is at the center of the psyche and thus at the center of the palm. Although there is no real scientific support for the contention that the physical features observed in palmistry have psychic or occult predicative meaning, the human hand does show evidence of the person's health, cleanliness, and occupational or nervous habits. For example, we can see the evidence of calluses that can tell a trained reader about the palm's habits and occupations, or the reader can observe anxiety or discomfort in actions like nail biting or picking. Hands are routinely examined in medical diagnosis, and they can provide clues with which the palmist may often astound even the most skeptical sitter. So let's now return to look at some of the 27 full-page diagrams of hands with lines, marks, and mounts in our 17th century manuscript Delidia del Futuro. This extensively illustrated unpublished manual of chiromancy is a witness of attempts in 17th century Italy to reestablish the study of chiromancy as a natural science with rational foundations closer to physiognomy than to divination. Full-page drawings of hands, a few of them pounced, instruct how to read a person's life expectancy, digestion, capacity to bear children, sites of wounds and broken bones, love, integrity, wisdom, and so forth. The manuscript has 51 folios on paper and fly leaves on the same paper as the text. We have been able to date and trace the manuscript through the script the paper's watermark, and the language, which all indicate that the manuscript was written in 17th century Italy. The watermark is three overlapping mounts surmounted by a bird and an undulating corkscrew on the chain line. A series of similar watermarks are found on transcripts made for the Strozzi family of Florence in the 17th and 18th century, one of them currently in the Folger Shakespeare Library suggesting that our manuscript may have been copied in Florence. The watermark, however, is current throughout central Italy, so without additional details, it is difficult to be certain of a Florentine origin. 
Written in dark brown ink, in a cursive hand, the titles appear handsomely in capital letters in pale pink, with rubrics, capitals, and paragraph numbers also in the same pale pigment. It has an original half binding with covers in gorgeous tan marble with red, green, and yellow accents over the pasteboards. Its spine is green morocco with gold tooling. I love the worn effect of this manuscript where we can see a few traces of previous owners who clearly used the manual but also cared for it very delicately. The illustrated treatise on chiromancy is anonymous, apparently completely unpublished, and divided into 17 chapters. Chapter 1 treats the quality and shape of the hand, with descriptions of 15 different hands providing a list of important points, all labeled A through Z. Then. There's a chapter on the lifeline, a chapter on how to measure the lifeline, explaining how to translate the length of the line into the years of life, and a fourth chapter on the headline, which literally means the natural line, which tells how to know the nature of the individual according to the shape and direction of the line, or the signs that are found next to or across from it. The fifth chapter is on the heart line, and it describes how to predict the capacity for generating children. Then there's a chapter on the line of the liver, which describes how to read the status of digestion and nutrition, one further on bracelet lines, which help to measure the length of life, and one on the ring of Saturn, a line associated with death and widowhood. Chapter 9 treats the lines that are used for predicting wounds or broken bones, and Chapter 10 describes the triangle and quadrangle used for identifying the attitude of an individual. Then we move into the more astrological chapters with Chapter 11, Del Monte de la Luna, which discusses the mount of the moon or the apex of the moon related to imagination, intuition, and mystery. And I should note that by the word mount here, I mean the bumps or lumps of flesh on your palm and your fingers. The moon mount is located at the base of the metacarpal joint, usually known as the opens digiti minimi. That's the fleshy base of your palm in line with your pinky finger, but closest to your wrist. Chapter 12, Del Monte di Venere, describes the Mount of Venus, mainly related to love, health, and affection. Then we have a chapter on the Mount of Saturn, related to integrity and perspective on things. Chapter 15, Del Monte del Sol, is on the Mount of the Sun, which relates to emotion, interest, wealth, and outlook on beauty. Chapters 14 and 15 were bound out of order, as chapter 13 is the next noted chapter on the Mount of Jupiter, representing willpower, authority, ambition, and self-respect. This is followed by chapter 16, Del Monte de Mercurio, on the Mount of Mercury, representing wisdom and the ability to think. Finally, the last chapter, chapter 17, is on universal aphorisms. Importantly, this chapter contains a list of general rules about interpreting lines and mounts on hands. There is a final, fascinating element of use in this manuscript. Many of the diagrams show traces of pouncing. 
Pouncing is a method of transferring a design by pricking the outlines of a drawing and then blowing a fine dust through the holes onto another surface. Essentially, this is a method of transferring the outlines of a drawing exactly to another surface, often used in fresco painting and for copying purposes like the dissemination of studies in artist workshops. The last two illustrations of Delidia del Futuro are neatly pounced, suggesting either that a model was used for drawing them or that these drawings themselves were used as a source for copies. The eight preceding leaves before this, with illustrations, have prick marks that outline the hands with lines, but these do not follow the drawn lines, leaving us to question if the manuscript was interacted with in other ways, perhaps with pins and strings as an instructional manual used for physical demonstrations corresponding to the astrological and instructional chapters of the manuscript. So that's all for this first October podcast on the art of palmistry, known as chiromancy. Next week, I will discuss some of the many amulets and charms that we have had at Les Andeniers and speak about some of the ways that medieval people used objects and texts to protect themselves in their daily lives. We would love to hear your thoughts about this episode's topic. Do you know something about palmistry or fortune-telling in manuscripts and manuals? Let us know! You can find out more about the manuscript I just discussed on textmanuscripts.com, and you can reach out with comments and questions through our social media, at Listen Lumineer. For more information, you can also visit our website or order one of our many catalogs. We hope to see you next week at Freeze Masters in London. And for everyone from home, thanks for listening. 